the pain is part of the deal. And that's where fear comes in. That's where resistance comes in. So the two things that are completely unseen, but probably the most powerful things that stop us from doing anything is resistance and fear is part of that too. So. Welcome to the Forging Metal Podcast with your blacksmiths, Tara O'Brien and Ron Duran Jr. Come inside and grab your hammer. The fire is hot and ready. It's time to harden up. Let's get to work. The forge is now open. Today, she's a recovery and life coach, founder and entrepreneur, Jess Kidd, who is also an ultra competitor in many of the Spartan race competitions to include the world championships. Today, we talked to Jess about the crazy world of Spartan racing, overcoming adversity as a teen, and the ability to push through pain to find a stronger sense of self and then turn around and help others do the same. Welcome back to The Forge today. I'm pretty excited to talk to somebody that I would say is a practitioner of mental toughness. We very purposely like to interview people from both sides. Recently, we interviewed somebody with a PhD that that knows a lot about the academic side of mental toughness, resilience, and grit. But we also like to look at the side of what is this like in real life? You know, because what, what you learn in a book is not always the same is when you're out there getting muddy. And so today's guest is going to hopefully give us some insight on what that's like. And so I met Jess at a ultra marathon down in Colorado Springs called Rattler. And we, we didn't get much time to talk. I mean, and, and as you might guess, in one of these races, you're, you're mostly just working hard and, and trying to keep, keep going. And so we, we, I remember we shared a hill climb that was a little bit, a little bit brutal for that race anyway. So that's kind of how I met or at least came across Jess and then started following her on Instagram. And, and she does a lot of hardcore things. And so I was intrigued by that again. I'd like to kind of pick the brains of people that, that do hard things. And so Jess, we talked about this a little bit in, in our pre-call, but I want to kind of go here to start this off that you were pretty honest with me that you had a difficult childhood and you were kind of going down a bad path and you kind of self, you know, you know, course corrected. Are you comfortable sharing what that was like? And maybe what was the trick to getting yourself back on track? I don't even know where to start with the childhood piece. There's a lot to say, but you know, I went to 12 different schools growing up. I had parents that divorced when I was seven and that's where all the moving started. My dad drank a lot of alcohol, got very angry during those times. And, you know, I found myself home alone a lot, which was fine. I was an early teen. However, my dad would be, you know, out partying, out with his friends, drinking, doing drugs, things like that. And I would find myself without groceries. I'd have neighbors that would buy groceries for me. And I had no idea how they knew this was happening or knew anything was going on. I wasn't talking to anyone about it. I never told my friends at school about it. I mean, it was another new school for me. So we lived up in Chief Hosa, which is up I-70, kind of in the woods a little bit, in a tiny little cabin, take the bus down to School of Golden, lived up there for a while, started working at 14. And buying my own things at that point. My dad never has had a lot of money, which, you know, has actually taught me a lot, you know, growing up in a space where there's, you know, physical abuse, there's alcohol, there's drugs in front of me. I, of course, like I didn't participate in that. I was far too young, but I knew what was going on. I would just lock myself in my room and keep to myself. 
there was a point when I was 15 and started hanging out with the wrong crowd. And I knew exactly what I was doing, what I was getting myself into. I started hanging out with, I had a very good friend of mine who was older than me, but got himself into a lot of trouble as well, trouble with the law. And we hung out a lot and started hanging out with gangsters. And, you know, these guys were like tagging up the buses and we had guns pulled on us a couple of times, which is so crazy to look at me now and think that I was in that situation, hanging out with gangsters wearing a certain color and all those things. But, you know, to be perfectly honest, at that point, they were kind of like family to me. You know, we were together all the time. And underneath all of that, they were still people and people with feelings just because they were doing, you know, juvenile delinquent things didn't mean that at their core, they were bad. So I found myself kind of in a a good, like comfortable family place with them for a little while, short lived, because again, I knew what I was doing was wrong. I mean, at that point, I got kicked out of school. I'd been ditching. Strange enough, the class that I did go to was physics first thing in the morning. And then I would leave for the rest of the day. I wasn't even going to gym at that point. And I, you know, I'd been an athlete in high school as well, but there was this short stint where I just went off and did whatever I wanted to. And luckily somehow, for some reason, I, I just kind of, I was ready to change. And I went to my grandmother and basically told her that I wanted to start over. And so let's let's pause right there. What, what triggered you to say, I want to start over because, because I mean, we're at a fork in the road, right? And Mm -hmm. I, and I want to, I want to just pause here because there might be, there might be somebody out there that's struggling with this, but probably more likely there's a parent out there that maybe is watching their kid do this. So what, what was it that, that got you going maybe down the right path instead of the wrong path? You know, it's interesting. I think about that because a lot of people ask me, you know, what happened or a, they'll look at my dad and they'll see me in that time and and think, you know, how, how are you like this when that was what was going on? And to be perfectly honest, I mean, I have not been through therapy. I've not done any of those things externally but there's just like this, this fire in me, like something in me that, that told me, you know, you're better than this. There's more for you than this. And like I said, knowing that I was doing the wrong things, even though I had people that I cared about in front or what quote unquote friends in the other place, I was ready to just step away completely. And this was my opportunity. I ended up actually winning the Douglas County Metro and Mayor Commissioner's Youth Award for changing my life around. My counselor actually uh, nominated me for this award and it provided me a scholarship to community college. So that was just another, I mean, honestly, a blessing. If you think about it, if I could remember this counselor's name, I would definitely go back and call her and and let her know where I am today. And it was just- So did you sense that she had a belief in you? I did. Um, I had to see her, you know, every week after transferring because I was behind now since I'd been ditching school. I had to go to summer school and catch myself up, take all the steps to bring myself to a place where I could graduate on time. So, you know, she, she helped and supported me or at least was there. I knew she was there for me to get through that. And just the fact that she could see something was going on, you know, again, she pulled me away and asked to talk to me separately from my dad. And, you know, I like most people don't notice those things. Most people go on, you know, their normal day and they have no idea what's going on outside of their bubble. So 
for her to recognize that and to put that interest in me and, you know, pay attention. That was huge. That, I mean, probably changed the whole path of my life. And I was able to afford college and, you know, go down that road and start to have an education and, you know, move on from there. What a great story. And so does that, I don't know, is that the, again, is that the underpinnings of why you do all these crazy things that you do in races? Uh, A lot of people ask, you know, like, where does this drive or where does this motivation come from? And that is the thing that I always go back to is, you know, I saw where I didn't want to be. And I went as far away from that as possible. And I don't think I've ever stopped. So I continue to just kind of drive down this path and create my own path, just blow through it (laughs) in some senses. And I want to take everyone else with me. You know, I this might be moving ahead a little bit, but I, I left my career at land title 12 and a half years in 2015, I believe completely jumped ship and jumped without a net to do what I felt I should be doing. And that's helping other people achieve the things they don't think they can. So give them the belief that they can and help show them that, that that's there. And I decided to do that through fitness because that's my passion and that's my platform. So being a trainer, being a nutrition coach, a life coach, all those things kind of gave me that platform and that vehicle to help people do the things they didn't think they could. And so I, yeah, completely jumped and, and went that direction. Which it sounds like you're the perfect person to be kind of coaching others. And (laughs) one of the things that you bring up that I can completely relate to, but I really want to hear your take on it is pain. And you, you know, you talk a lot. Yeah. I can see you. You're like smiling and you're like, yep, let's talk about one of my favorite topics. So, you know, you talk about people that are unwilling to push the boundaries of pain, right? You say they live, they all end up living a mediocre life. What do you mean by that? With a lot of things, I relate a lot of life to obstacle course racing because I've learned probably more about myself on the course than any place else uh, through some of the stories that you've read. (laughs) But I feel like in today's society, we're soft, you know, to be perfectly honest, we are handed so many things. A lot of people are stressed and, and feel like, woe is me and their life is terrible. You know, and I stress out too, of course, but when you really look at the big picture, we, we really don't have a bad life. You know, it's the, everyone gets an award type of thing, or it's everything out there. People are just waiting to be offended. You know, we're just, we're so soft. And so I feel like people sit at their desk behind their computer in their cubicle all day, and they don't do anything to challenge themselves. They don't do anything to kind of push themselves to that limit of like figuring out what they're made of you know? And so I always urge or encourage people or sometimes drag people (laughs) out to obstacle course racing with me because it's so intimidating to so many people, but there is nothing on that course that you can't get through. And most all of them are about community anyway. So you're going to get through it together, no matter what, there's not one thing that you're going to walk to and be like, I'm, I'm alone in this and I can't do it. That's not the case. So for me, you know, getting people away from their computer, away from their desk, their phone, their texting, you know, everything that they do behind something and just taking themselves out there, being vulnerable, letting go, challenging themselves. And then when they cross the finish line, that's the most amazing thing to me to see people. I took a team of 15 people from lifetime where I was training uh, before quarantine. 
last summer or two summers ago, I guess, 15 people who had never done a Spartan race before. We all finished together. And I knew going into it that when they crossed the finish line, they were going to learn or, you know, feel so much more accomplished than they even had any idea that they would. And it's because they pushed themselves beyond a point that they thought was possible. And because of that, now they can push themselves a little bit more in their everyday life. And maybe those crazy stresses that just created so much tension and chaos in their life will be a little bit easier to, to handle because now they know, oh, well, if I can do that, <laughs> I can definitely get through this. And do you think that really needs to start with pushing yourself physically? And I'm asking you in particular, because I mean, you're, you know, the, the last um, decade or maybe even longer of your life has been specifically really in pushing your limits physically. Do you think for the average person that you're talking about sitting behind their computer and not really pushing those, those boundaries of pain, does it have to start with physical pushing the physical boundaries, or do you think you can achieve that in other ways? I think you can achieve it in other ways, you know, getting over fears. So people have fears of heights, for example, you know, going skydiving or cliff jumping or, you know, things like that. But I think the physical is a lot easier because it's, it's everywhere. I mean, the physical is in the gym, you know, some people don't even push themselves to get through their set. So I think the physical piece is just a lot easier to find. And, you know, obviously when it comes to the racing side of things, even the average person sitting behind their computer can absolutely go out and do a Tough mutter or a Spartan. You know, some of the people that you see with one arm out there doing it, or, you know, I pushed, I helped a group push a veteran in a wheelchair through it. And you look at that and you're like, okay, well, why am I not out there then? You know, there's mm. no excuse. So I think I'm anyone, it doesn't matter. Okay, Jess, I've been sitting behind my computer. <laughs> I'm getting a little soft and I'm ready to sign up. I'm, I'm signing on the Let's dotted do line. Just take me out. And Jess, can we, can we do this without, can we just not have the pain? Can I get through this without maybe experiencing that pain? Or is that, is that part of the deal? The pain is part of the deal. And that's where fear comes in. That's where resistance comes in. So the two things that are completely unseen, but probably the most powerful things that stop us from doing anything is resistance and fear is part of that too. So, you know, if you don't want any pain, then you're probably just going to cross the start line and get to that first obstacle and quit because at some point it's going to hurt, whether it hurts physically whether it hurts mentally because it's hard and it's something you've never done and you have a million excuses as to why you shouldn't or can't do this right now. Pain is part of it, but pain is what is going to give you that growth at the end. You can't do it without it. You are, our, you're, I, I like to say you're part of our tribe. I could have said it better. <laughs> yeah. Welcome. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. We, we agree. Do you, do you think, Jess, do you think how much of your, your background growing up, do you think has led you to the philosophy that you have on what we're talking about? I think a lot because, yeah. you know, I, I work with people. I know people and friends with people who didn't come from any sort of difficulty in their childhood. And, you know, it's all relative. So I would never compare myself to someone else. However, without having difficulties or challenges in life, again, where does it even start then? So that means now they're an adult having never experienced something of challenge. 
those are generally the type of people that complain about everything, even the smallest things that, you know, the rest of us <laughs> would roll our eyes at or bite our tongue. But, you know, I think and I'm grateful for it, to be honest. Yeah, sure. There are there are times that I shouldn't have gone through as a child, but at the same time, I would never take any of that back. At the end of the day, especially as you become a teenager and as you get older, you choose. You know, now you have a choice. Are you going to take that and grow from it and do something with that? Or are you going to play victim and just kind of sit in this dark place forever? And, you know, how does that serve you? So I think, you know, anybody that, that follows you on, on Instagram or, or social media and, and, and has an idea of what you do, you continually push yourself. Do you ever feel like you've arrived? You know, you're mentally tough already. So why do you continue to do this? I mean, is this, what, what, what keeps you going, Jess? You know, it's so funny. <laughs> I find myself, I was actually just signing up for a race. I kind of went through my entire race schedule for the season to see what I was going to do. I'm always feeling, I'm like, Ooh, I have this weekend open. Guess I'm going to do this race. And I'm not looking for the easy ones. I'm looking for the challenging ones. And this one in particular is a, uh, it's, un, it's under the Leadville race series. It's the 50 mile. I think it's called the silver rush. You're going to run it. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Yeah. I'm going to run it. <laughs> Sweet. jog walk i mean you know uh, i've, walk, I've done it it's, it's, a, it's a tough race <laughs> really great yeah. i'm not gonna look at this i'm not gonna look <laughs> at the course <laughs> i'm gonna show up at the start line like i do everything else and wonder why the hell i'm there <laughs> and i'll get through it <laughs> good, um, good. no but when i do that kind of thing my finger literally hovers over the registration button and i'm like oh wow. gosh <laughs> and i of course i click register and I do it. So for me, I think, you know, doing the same old thing all over again, I already know I can do that. You know, it's the fun part for me, kind of sick part for me is to continue to push myself and doing more and more and more. And it's, I learned so much more about myself and am able to then take that to other people. And I think the bigger piece of it for me is that you know, people talk about failure and I am a believer that it's lessons, not losses, because I have to, because if I believed it was failure, I would never do any of this stuff ever. Sometimes in my mind, I think, oh yeah, I can totally do this. I'm sure I can place like top 10 when there's absolutely no way <laughs> I'm coming out in top 50, <laughs> but there's something in my head that just like I've taught myself now, or I don't even know where it's come from necessarily, but I sign up thinking, sure, no problem. And then the day it happens and I'm standing on that start line. I'm like, <laughs> how <laughs> did I get here? <laughs> but but I, and I, the other piece of it too, is that I, I take it upon myself to, to use myself again as that platform to show other people that you can. And whether I do poorly or I do great doesn't matter. I did it. And I want other people to see and that was part of me, you know, leaving my career. That's when I decided to be very transparent and start using social media more and, you know, really talking through a lot of those things and writing blogs and things like that is like, you can do this, you know, it may not always be pretty. You're not always going to win, but it isn't about that. It's about doing the thing, you know, and understanding that anything is possible. And as long as you're open to like endless possibilities and don't think of failure as failure, then go do it. 
It sounds like you put as much emphasis on pushing through pain as you do pushing through fear. Because I, I want to paint a picture for people like me who have not uh, participated in any of these races. You're not out for like a leisurely fun jog where you're like listening to your music and you're like, oh, what a great day. This is such a sweet race. Oh, how wonderful is this? Oh, it's just beautiful. Like the the Spartan hurricane heat uh 12 hour I, I, is that a 12 hour race there's uh i did a 24 hour one about four months ago it was okay. during quarantine they had it that one was in atlanta um, tell us about that like what are these what is this race like because it sounds like when you say your your fingers hovering over the registration button <laughs> i have a feeling there's some trauma oh, there. <laughs> yes. there there's pain <laughs> Well, the 12 hour one, which was in one of my blogs was when I broke my ankle during the race. Oh my God. <laughs> it's completely mental. As far as I'm concerned, you're not running and sprinting for 24 hours. You're just trying to survive and get through this and cross the mm. finish line. So these races, I mean, now granted world's toughest mutter Spartan world championship. It's how many laps can you get done in 24 hours? So you're pushing, you know, you're going for a goal. Generally the mileage is five mile laps. And there are obstacles, obviously, within them, about 20 to 25. And Spartan World Championships was in Sweden in 2019. So I was there in that one. There are 300 qualifying spots in the world for that. And then they have open underneath that. So it was at a ski resort. So now you're climbing up a ski mountain in snow, required Gore-Tex, top, bottom, all those things, and certain gear that you had to have with you in case they stopped you to check, but they have obstacles along the way, come back down. You have a transition area where you can eat, drink, go back out again. So for people that are competing, your quick transition, get back out there. So you're pushing. And again, it may not always be a sprint, but you're going the full 24 hours pushing as hard as you can. The hurricane heat, however, is you show up and everyone else that's registered is the team. So you are all one big team together. And you may or may not know anyone, depending. The leader, they call them Cryptea, basically tell you what the missions are going to be over the course of that 24 hours. So you have a gear list that you show up with. And so in Atlanta, four months ago, my gear list included two bricks, like literally bricks. Wow. I, had them in my, I had them in my suitcase, <laughs> um, duct tape, paracord, like parachute cord, you know, Sharpie, just a bunch of, oh, uh, you know, of course, like a Leatherman tool. And you have no idea what you're doing with any of these things until you get there. You have sandbags. That's always, it's a staple pretty much, but you're doing things like one of the things was as the, oh, that's right. The burpee mile. Oh, so <laughs> That sounds great, doesn't it? Yeah, that um, sounds like my favorite thing. I think I know what you're going to say, and this just sounds terrible. <laughs> I know. I know. I mean, it pretty much gives it away in the name. But, yeah. <laughs> but we had our rucksack on, which has weight in it already, and your food, and your gear, and everything. And then you have a sandbag or two, depending on how many they tell you. And in this case, we just had one big sandbag that we carried the whole time. And so you're carrying it. I made a mistake. And I tied it off too short, so I couldn't hang it around my neck. I had to carry it oh, <laughs> with no. my arms. I know, big mistake. So I, I can I can give like a whole list of what not to do <laughs> in these races. <laughs> That's one of them. But we had to hike out into the forest. 
middle of the night and it was it was probably actually straight midnight when we were doing the burpee mile because i believe it was a full moon and there's actually something really kind of calming and fun about that strange enough <laughs> but we appeared we got to this meadow in the middle of the forest and Luckily, we were able to put our bags down. We didn't have to do the burpee mile with weight, with a little course set up in this meadow. And you burpee, broad jump, all the way round and round and round until you hit a mile or the time stopped. Wow. Yes. Wow. I know. This is your regular <laughs> training routine on the weekends, right, Ron? No, I, I, no. I hate burpees. <laughs> There's something, you know, I mean, adrenaline pushes you through a lot of this because it doesn't sound fun when I say it out loud right now, but in that moment doing it, I was actually kind of okay. <laughs> it wasn't so bad, <laughs> which wow. again is kind of scary, but so yeah, over the course of the 24 hours, you're doing these different missions. None of the missions as a whole are impossible. However, when they tell you that you're going to do something like bear crawl and roll your your sandbag with you as you bear crawl for let's say you know quarter mile and then they have you do frog jumps with your weight and you're going round and round and round you drop it and then you jog down you come back for three hours then it becomes difficult <laughs> then it's okay when is this going to be done we crab crawled for it was a crab crawl and then bear crawl and then jog with our sandbag for probably three solid hours and it was brutal our shoulders it's sunny out we're getting close to the end of the next day mm -hmm. so it's almost time to stop and all i'm doing is looking at the sun thinking it's got to be five o'clock <laughs> like please tell me it's at least five <laughs> i've got three hours left let's go <laughs> so in those races though the 12-hour one that i went to where i broke my ankle in that one they they cut you if you didn't finish things in a certain time or didn't follow the rules or, you know, did something out of line. So in that one in particular, over the course of the 12 hours, if you didn't take what they said, just kind of just black and white, literally don't think too much into it, then you could have gotten cut. People did quit. People did get cut also. I actually made it through. I made it through seven hours with a broken ankle, duct taped like David Goggin style you know, crawling on my hands and knees, crying, <laughs> dragging my foot through the cold dirt in the morning before the sun came up. I mean, I did whatever I could to get through that thing, but I finished. The 24-hour one, however, they were very encouraging for everyone to stay, not to quit, not to anything. They didn't cut anyone. They just didn't want anyone to quit. And so we were Team USA competing with other countries that were doing the same things at the same time we were. And so different missions, we were actually competing against them, like Austria, for example. Even still, even through that, I think we had like 106 people that started this in, in Atlanta. And I believe there were only maybe 37 people that finished the 24-hour race. So people quit. People can't handle it. They're tired. They hurt. They, whatever the case, the excuses that they tell themselves, you know, so that's the point of, I don't want pain. They stop. They don't want to push through that there were definitely points I wanted to quit too. And in those moments, I tell myself, just get through this, give it another 30 minutes. Because after that 30 minutes, I'm probably okay again. You know, I've probably washed that away and I'm all right. But 
I have to get over that hump because there are absolutely times like next time I go through that, that finish line, I'm quitting. I'm done. <laughs> I can go to my car now. I'm good. <laughs> but then I think about quitting on myself, having to answer to everyone else because I make it very known that I'm doing these things on purpose because that's accountability. You know, I'm not going to come back and be like, yeah, well, you know, I made it 22 hours and I was just tired. So I just stopped. I'm not going to do that. Uh, I always, usually I can hold room, you know, when I say I can run 50 miles, but, but I think you got me. Uh, I'd rather, I'd rather, I'd rather just stick to running. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Ron. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't need the same to be thing. bear crawling with a, with a sandbag. <laughs> but that's what makes it interesting. <laughs> yeah. So let me, let me ask you this, Jess, you know, mm -hmm. I, I have a, I have a thought about quitting that you may or may not agree with. And you may have seen me actually post it on, on social media, but I, I believe that there is a time to quit. I actually had a coach that said there's two kinds of quit. There's a, there's a legit quit and there's a shit quit. Mm -hmm. I want to ask you, Jess, when is there ever, is that ever an appropriate thing to do? Is, is there an appropriate, is there a legit quit? Like, I mean, maybe, I like maybe a broken ankle? Right. I was going to, I was going to say, I, you know, health concern. Then you look at David Goggins, you know, like, of course I know everyone probably compares to him these days, but look at him, <laughs> you know, like everything he says and does and has pushed through he's proven and he's still okay. However, there's a point though. I feel like, you know, some people would be at extreme risk if they continue to push themselves through some of the things that he's done. And I said that in my blog too, about talking about pain, you know, like that I'm not recommending or suggesting that you go break your ankle and continue because there's also this switch in my mind that doesn't really have that smarts. I'm like, oh, well, you know, I'm just going to keep going. I, in, in my mind, it never even crossed my mind that I could have done more damage <laughs> by continuing <Wow>. on it, <laughs> which is the dumb part, <laughs> but I just kept going. <laughs> Well, and I think that becomes the tricky thing is your brain tries to convince you that everything's a legit quit, right? right you know, yes. when, whenever you're really pushing yourself to the extremes, it'll play tricks on you. It'll say, oh, we can't do this or we're going to die or, we're, you know, something bad's going to happen. And usually that's not a, it's not a good story. So I'm right. just wondering, I'm just wondering what you thought about that. So there is, there is a point out there where you're like, okay, that might be a good time to quit now. I think we also want to put the disclaimer out there. Don't follow Jess. No, right, exactly. Yeah. I was going to say, I don't really have that switch. <laughs> so <laughs> I got to ask you what the toughest thing is that you've ever done. You know, we've just listened to stuff that I'm still blowing my mind. What do you think is the absolute toughest thing you've ever had to do? The other race where I fell to all fours coming through the finish line. I was hypothermic and lap 10. I mean, that was, that literally defined me. I made two mistakes <laughs> at the beginning of it that I will never make again, taking my wetsuit off and the sun never really came out and being in and out of water that many times deserts. It was very cold. I was shivering. I had hurt my foot. It felt like I was walking on glass every step I took. So I wanted to get through that last lap as quick as possible and hit that 50 mile mark. That was my goal. I had a torn shoulder also, mm. which I don't, I didn't mention in the blog. So I had to take every penalty possible. I couldn't, there are certain obstacles that you jump and kind of swing and hang. I couldn't do that. I knew that, that would risk too much. So the penalty is mileage. So I added another 25 miles of penalties that didn't count toward my 50 total. Oh my God. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> 
so by the time I finished that race, I was so set and determined to get that 50 miles. I did not care, but I was the last person across the finish line with 90 seconds left on the clock and literally fell to all fours. And it was just, I felt once I, you know, kind of got past everything and was warm again, I could feel my fingers. I, you know, I felt so just accomplished and good and strong and like, I did that. And that was just, yeah, I wouldn't take that back either. Wouldn't have done it any other way. There, there's my moment. There's my moment. You know, you, you know, my, if you know my podcast, you know, there's my, my hair just sit up on my arms. That's <laughs> it's inspiring. I, I love hearing stories like that because, you know, just pushing through it and finding something that you didn't think was there is so, I don't know. It, it moves me. And so thank you for sharing that. Let me, let me turn this a little bit. You are about to kind of embark on a new adventure from what I can tell with something called Paradigm One. Is that the right name? Yes. What, tell us, tell us about that. And what, what's going on? What's this exciting thing that you're, you're getting kind of up and running? Sure. Just a little bit of background on that first during quarantine, which obviously was an interesting time for us all. Actually, not necessarily a bad time. I There were a lot of amazing things that came out of that time for me, and one of which was becoming a recovery coach. So at the beginning of, I guess it was maybe middle of March, end of March, I met my now boyfriend, who is four and a half years sober. He runs sober living homes here in Colorado in Aurora. And, you know, once we started talking and hanging out, kind of exchanging who we are and learning about each other, you know, everything that I do just as a coach in general, I'm kind of using fitness for a lot of that really resonated with him. And he suggested, you know, you should be a recovery coach. This, that really, all of these things kind of go hand in hand. So I went through the certification, started doing the recovery coaching, which Basically, I work with obviously addicts, whether it's alcohol or drugs. Right now, I coach the coaches or the house managers within those houses. So they're in a leadership position. That doesn't necessarily mean that they've been in recovery for any specific time. So I work with them on, you know, life skills or situations that they struggle with. You know, where are they in in their recovery program? Are they going to their meetings? Things like that. So this progressed. I started taking fitness to the houses and started doing workouts with some of the residents in the houses too. And, you know, many of these, these people have not exercised or taken care of their body in a long time. So fitness, as we know, provides those happy chemicals instead of the ones that they were getting and gives them the same thing, you know, that they, they have were replacing with something positive. And, you know, I'd shared in the beginning that I'd always had this idea of creating or opening a small gym where you could do therapy. And so like obviously privacy, whatever, but, you know, do therapy sessions while you're working out because as a trainer, oftentimes people share their whole life story. You know, at some point they start to talk and open up and we start to talk about things that are more serious or peel back the layers. And so really you're kind of offering a therapeutic session as you're training people sometimes. And so he had a similar idea and now it's coming to fruition with paradigm one, which is a recovery community center, small, but mighty to start. We want to expand quickly. It's all based on grants and donations, of course, as a nonprofit, but the basis around it is the fitness side of it. We have a small gym with small boxing rings, weights, cable machine, bench press. And then the other half is 
an open floor for art, music recovery, yoga happens in there. We will offer peer coaching services, help with job placement, things like that. So he's a pro MMA. And so, you know, that, that combined with me and boxing ring and all those things allow us to kind of bring that fitness piece to the recovery community too. How can people help get involved to follow what you're doing? What, what help do you need here? So we did a soft opening in January and we're right next to uh, an AA club, which is, you know, great location located in Aurora. We are doing the big grand opening on April 24th, Saturday, April 24th. So as far as help, you know, obviously I'm trying to gain traction as far as getting the word out there to the recovery community in general, the media, you know, potential donors, someone this might resonate with sponsors. We offer sponsorship packages, all those things. Again, you know, this is complete grassroots efforts trying to build this. The only thing like it is the Phoenix downtown. And over the last about nine years or so, they've completely expanded nationwide and have locations, various spots now. So outside of that, we are the only place like this. And we absolutely see it, it growing and kind of exploding once we get that word out there. Yeah, that's, that's great. I think, it, you know, I've, I think I mentioned in, in one of our email exchanges that I've thought about this with ultra running, you know, there's so many people that, that just really don't have the tools to kind of, you know, I like to use the word rescue themselves. I know it's not, you know, we need help. You know, people that do extreme events, everybody thinks we're nutbags, but we're getting, we're getting these happy chemicals that you know, they're there for all of us. And quite honestly, in the ultra running career or ultra running uh, world, there's a lot of recovering uh, addicts. So it kind of goes hand in hand. So I can see how this could, this could play well. And, and what a wonderful way to give them an outlet to do something maybe more productive with their life. Thank you, by the way, for, for doing that. I think that's, that's great. You know, it's, it's good to see leaders of the community stepping up and, and filling a void like that. So, all right, what is your greatest failure? And, and maybe what did you learn from that greatest failure? So I gave some of this away earlier when I started to talk about changing careers. And again, since I don't necessarily view failure as failure in that term though I would consider this my biggest failure and my greatest success and that would be leaving a 12 and a half year career you know completely jumping I left something that was a good income that was very comfortable I had a whole path of success ahead of me you know I had what I needed right there you know I was the hamster wheel but it was a great job and leaving without (laughs) any sort of backing, you know, falling on my face a million times. I went broke. I, all those things had many days of stress of figuring out or, you know, questioning how I was going to pay bills, how I was going to survive. And, but always coming back to a place of knowing and believing that I would make it period. I would never change anything. I would never go back. I knew what I did was right. And I just say failure in the sense of, you know, I left this thing that was so great. A lot of people might look at that and think, well, why in the world would you leave that to go to do what you're doing? Because, I mean, let's be honest, it's not like personal trainers are out there making a ton of money. You know, it's my industry doesn't necessarily, you know, live in Chili Hills and (laughs) drive a Mercedes. We're doing it because we want to help people. So it's two different sides of the coin, but you know, falling my face, the going broke, the, those experiences, a lot of people would consider failures, but, you know, they kept driving me to reach success, which I'm not even there yet. I'm still going, but 
also my greatest success because now I get to do the thing I should be doing and helping people and, you know, seeing those rewards and successes every day. Thanks for joining us this week. If you enjoyed the podcast, please tell all your friends. If you didn't, let's just forget this happened and we'll try again next week. Until then, join the revolution to forge metal and connect with us on social media.